What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. Today is Friday, March 25th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Matt, hey, it is going pretty well over here, my dude. I am living large on this beautiful Friday. How about you? I am congested, but I am having a good day. Yeah, if you hear me in the audio as a little stuffy, that's because I am. That's because it's your Jordan flu game number three. Yeah, number, number two or three at this point. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been taking the subway to work because it's been cold, and uh, there's a lot more people on the subway, so I probably caught a cold from them. But yeah, you know what? COVID test was negative. We're good to go. Oh, you're chilling then. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. <laughs> this is just you know your classic head cold. The CDC says do whatever the heck you want, Matt. <laughs> Also, Nick being back is probably a nice surprise to listeners from Monday's show because I accidentally said I was by myself this week instead of saying I'm by myself today. So, surprise, <laughs> Nick's here. <laughs> Hello. Hello to the audience that did not expect me. <laughs> I am here. And we're happy to have you. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. This shows your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you here. Yes, and please don't forget to go rate the show on Spotify and rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts as well. We ask you every week, we ask you every episode, and we're not gonna stop. Thank you to everyone who's already reviewed the show, and if you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out as a thank you. Yes, we will. We are notorious for it. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. So the first one is titled, The SEC Wants Companies to Disclose How Climate Change is Affecting Them, by David Gura of NPR. Big news from earlier this week from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, who formally proposed a new rule on Monday that would require businesses to report their greenhouse gas emissions and detail how climate change is impacting their business. Public companies are already required to provide investors and regulators with potential risks they face, and climate change soon might become one of those required risk assessments if this rule passes. The article shouts out Apple as a company that's been voluntarily offering this information, but there's no standard for doing this yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm honestly shocked that this wasn't already a thing, but awesome that they're actually going to, you know, have a reference point on, oh, this is, you know, this is how this company has treated climate change in the past. This is their record on climate change. I think it'll be really useful information down the line. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that, you know, we've talked about climate change being a financial risk. And I think quantifying it through these proposed rules is going to make that case way stronger. And it's going to get some of the people who are like, yeah, well, climate change is definitely a big deal. And I think we should do something about it. But what's being proposed is really expensive. Like if we can quantify the monetary side of things through this, it might get those people to flip and say, 
yeah, doing something's going to be expensive, but wow, not doing anything is really, really expensive. Yeah, exactly. So if regulators approve the rules, climate-related information would be a requirement for going public and as part of the annual filings that the companies have to do. The rules for greenhouse gas emissions are pretty interesting to me, where emissions are broken up into scope one, two, and three emissions. So scope one are each company's own greenhouse gas emissions. Scope two is each company's energy consumption. And scope three is how many emissions are generated by a company's suppliers and customers. So I want to touch on scope three a little bit because, well, they're going to be the hardest to measure, which is why many trade groups and companies have opposed them. But suppliers and consumers generating emissions is a huge part of each company's overall emissions totals. Like the further along that supply chain that you get, the more your cumulative emissions are going to be. So I think, yeah, they're going to be hard to estimate, but mitigating climate change is hard. Skipping over the difficult mitigation practices has made this issue worse. So I'm not saying this would be a bad thing without including scope three, but it would definitely be better with scope three emissions factored in. Yeah. And it also just makes them think, you know, how we're acting and how our customers are acting and how that impacts us as a business. So even starting that conversation is, is definitely going to be really important in, you know, what moves they make further down the line. Yeah. And I think of it too, as a transportation sort of thing. I mean, transportation emissions are a huge factor in global products and to factor in something like that as more than just your own internal shipping, your own internal transportation. Now all of a sudden the parts that you're buying from your suppliers those emissions have to get factored in. And I think, like we said, including this is going to be tough to quantify, but those all matter. Exactly. It paints a bigger picture for for how your business is run and, and what your actual carbon footprint is. Yeah, 100%. So the public has 60 days to weigh in on this one to the SEC. So if you feel strongly one way or another, write into them, make your voice heard. Yeah, definitely do that. And is there, do we have like a link maybe where they can do that or just just reach out to the SEC? Uh, we don't, but I will find something to put in the show notes before we publish this one. All right. Sounds good. I'll also put some <laughs> back work in as well on that. All right. The next one is from The Guardian, where Graham Redfern writes, dead coral found at Great Barrier Reef as widespread bleaching event unfolds. So last week we spoke about some hope for corals in the future. And now we're going to talk about the reality that corals face currently. Aerial surveys across the Great Barrier Reef revealed widespread coral bleaching and many dead corals. On Monday, a 10-day UN monitoring mission began, so this survey actually came a few days beforehand and covered about half of the reef. Professor Terry Hughes, a leading reef scientist, said that this is the sixth mass bleaching event. The other five occurred in 1998, 2002, 2016, 2017, and 2020. For all of the climate change isn't real folks that say we aren't impacting the environment. Number one, you're probably not listening to the show, so I don't know if we have to say this. But number two, mass bleaching didn't occur ever until 1998. And four of the six mass bleaching events all time have occurred in the last six years. So you tell me. Yeah. And like maybe you can remind the listeners, like, what is it exactly that's that's causing the mass bleaching events to occur? Yeah, so coral bleaching comes when sea temperatures rise and more pollution, whether it's from 
surface runoff or you know agricultural runoff getting into the waterways. Basically, chemical pollutants and higher temperatures make it so the corals start to die out. And when they start to die out, we'll get into this a little bit later, they just get kind of transparent and white because you could see their skeletons. Yeah. So that's why it's called bleaching because it just looks like this giant white mass of corals. Right. Yeah, so the World Heritage Committee went against the United Nations' advice to put reefs on a list of sites in danger a couple of years ago, but the committee has a chance to change that this upcoming June. It's important that the aerial surveys catch coral bleaching events before the corals die because, like we said, corals that have been bleached are going to be very white and giant white mass is a lot easier to spot from an aircraft than the corals that have already died because when they die, their flesh starts to rot, darker algae quickly takes over the animal. And I know we keep saying this, but it's a lot easier to see that white skeleton than it is to see algae in deep blue ocean water. Yeah, exactly. And Richard Leck, head of oceans at WWF Australia, said that the main thing that we can do to protect corals and reefs is to reduce Australia's domestic and exported emissions fast. Yeah, and you know they talk about this from the Australian perspective because the Great Barrier Reef is located there, but that really applies to all of us. Like If we can, as a collective, lower our emissions internationally, domestically, through trade, through imports, through exports, it's going to help all of the oceans. And with healthier oceans, you're going to see healthier corals and healthier reefs because of the the corals living there. So yeah, this one's important. Yeah. And if we go back to last week's episode where we talked about how two degrees of warming is somewhat survivable for for some um, coral you know, mass bleaching events like this are going to continue to occur anyway. So the 2%, you know, or sorry, the two degrees is, is even more important for us to reach and and to maintain. And, and like we said last week too, like 1.5 degrees is obviously even better. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, we talked about this, but we're currently on pace for 2.7 degrees of warming. So like you said, if we could reach two good, there's, you know, some corals that are going to be able to persist If we could reach 1.5, even better. And, you know, if we get below that, great. But the path that we're currently on is going to look a lot more like this than last week's hopeful study. Yeah. So one more thing to note from the article, we're currently in a La Nina event. So rain and cloud cover is helping cool the waters around the Great Barrier Reef. So the fact that they're still experiencing a mass bleaching event is really alarming because it shows that corals are under incredible heat stress, even during an event where the water is cooling. Yeah. And I always forget like Australia doesn't have our seasons. Like they have like weird backward seasons to us, don't they? Yeah. I think it's, it's fall there right now, right? Cause yeah, I think it it flips in the Southern hemisphere. Yeah, exactly. Look at us. Geography podcast. (laughs) We are the planet today, so we kind of have to know a little bit about geography. But regardless, (laughs) let's move on to the next story. So it is by Sirakshi Rai of The Hill, who writes, Temperatures in eastern Antarctica are 70 degrees warmer than usual. So a week ago, eastern Antarctica soared 50 to 90 degrees above their normal temperatures for this time of year. Normally, those temperatures are between minus 50 and minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit, and they were between zero to 10 degrees, which is just 
an incredible heat wave that's hitting the eastern part of the continent. It's funny to think of a heat wave as zero to 10 degrees, but uh, like for this region, it, it makes sense. And now you can realize, wow, this is what's melting the polar ice caps. Like they're used to minus 50, minus 60. Like it's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, look, think of it to, to put it in perspective for where we are right now. It's usually what around 50 degrees this time of year. Yeah. Imagine you walked outside tomorrow and it was 120 degrees outside. Jesus. Just kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's possible necessarily here because we'll get into this later, but part of the reason that the temperatures got so high was humidity and the East Coast of the United States is already so humid that I don't know how it could get much more humid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the humidity picked up in Eastern Antarctica and with it came much, much warmer temperatures. Yeah, and the article mentions how in 65 years of records in Vostok, Antarctica, temperatures above negative 30 degrees Celsius were never observed between March and October. It reached negative 17.7 degrees Celsius last week. Unfortunately, many of the weather stations in eastern Antarctica experienced highs like that one that Nick just mentioned, which is honestly pretty scary to say the least. It's been caused by an extreme weather system resulting in warm, moist air over the eastern part of the continent. So I guess the only real winners here are people who like to say, oh, it's not actually hot. It's just humid. <laughs> it's not the heat that gets you. It's the humidity. If you're one of those people, stop listening. I wonder how many times I've, <laughs> I've been told that in my life. Like countless times. Drives me up a wall because like I don't care if it's hot or humid. I care that I feel really hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. I can feel the sweat down my back. That's how I know it's humid. This is a good example of that though. Like imagine walking outside at one of the weather stations, you know, as a scientist in Antarctica and you're like, wow, it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit hotter than normal. And someone's like, actually, it's just humid. Like that doesn't matter. Yeah. We're experiencing this <laughs> insane heat wave. This is notable. This is scary. This is something that. Yeah could keep happening as the climate keeps changing. So it doesn't matter if it's hot or humid. It matters <laughs> that like this is a really important data point that hopefully is an anomaly and an outlier, but it could keep happening. Yeah, but like 65 years of records, that's what's concerning to me is like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Matt, what do you think? You think it's time for a break yet? Yes, let's take a break. And when we come back, we have two more quick hits. The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT.
Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, much of the U.S. will soon be dealing with a spring drought by Gizmodo's Angeli Mercado. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, announced last week that a large portion of the U.S. will face drought-related conditions in 2022. The last time this has happened was 2013, and it's because of how dry our winter was this year. Yeah, so this was the 12th driest winter in the last 128 years, according to NOAA. Less snowpack means less water for lakes and rivers when the snow melts in the spring. Those dry conditions from the winter and drier bodies of water have led to many areas already experiencing drought. The New York Times reports that the few parts of Texas and Arizona which have avoided drought-like conditions so far will soon begin to experience them. John Gottschalk of NOAA's Climate Prediction Center notes that the American West has experienced severe to exceptional drought since the summer of 2020, and that's extended to the Southern Plains and the Lower Mississippi Valley. Yeah, and you brought it up on on one episode. I can't remember which one it was specifically, but um, you said like today's wars are fought over oil and the future's wars will be um, fought. I'm butchering. Yeah, it's uh, wars of the past were fought over religion. Wars of the present are fought over oil and wars of the future will be fought over water. There we go. Okay, so that. Yeah. And it's just so true. Like we're all going to be affected by drought at some point in our lives, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a ticking time bomb. So right now it's Texas, Arizona. Soon enough, it'll be, you know, the whole Midwest and and East coast as well. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause like, I probably, I don't know, we could probably look this up and give a better answer than just speculating, but I'm very curious about what kind of progress and technology has been made to take like ocean water, for example, boil it down and make some of it drinkable. And are we going to need to do that? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then what happens, right? Like, I guess that fixes the sea level rise issue if we just start drinking ocean water. But Whoa. Yeah. Matt, you just saw climate change, my man. <laughs> is, that, is that what happened? It is 6.50 on a Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Matt just solved climate change, guys. But if we get rid of the salt, or if we get rid of the salt water by boiling it out and making it fresh water, what do we do with the salt? Uh, sell it. Morton's free ads. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We did it. Podcast is canceled. <laughs> we, we hit up Morton's. We're like, guys, we got a deal for you. You have no idea what you're, what you're getting yourselves into. I'm going to say that this isn't possible because someone smarter than us has definitely had that no, idea. A and thousand been percent. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's run the tests. No, this won't work. But right now <laughs> we sound like the smartest guys on the planet. <laughs> I love it. I freaking love it. All right. And the article says that this is the worst drought in over a thousand years and has brought reservoirs to new lows in the American Southwest. Yeah, I forget when, but we spoke about Lake Powell last year um, and they mentioned that in this article and said that it's still drying up. So Lake Powell provides drinking water to about 40 million people. So look, it's a really huge deal. Yeah, definitely. And the U.S. Drought Monitor estimates that over 230 million acres of crops have experienced drought conditions this week and adds that over 110 million people are experiencing drought in the continental U.S., which is a 20% increase since February. So basically, one third of the country is experiencing drought. Yeah, climate change is making droughts more common, longer lasting in drought prone areas. So this is unfortunately an issue that's not going away anytime soon even as we decrease our emissions. Like 
if we were to cut our emissions tomorrow and all of a sudden there's no more CO2 being produced in the world, we're still going to see rising temperatures because of those historical emissions that are going to hang out in the atmosphere for a while. Yeah. So this issue is not going to go away in a year, in 10 years. But if we can lower our emissions and you know get to net zero and 100% renewable energy, protect more forest land, protect more of the oceans, this is an issue that will hopefully go away in time. But for now, get used to it. Yeah, or immediately with our proposal. <laughs> <laughs> True. Morton's hit us up. PlanetTodayPod at gmail.com. Okay. Let's move on to our last quick hit of the week, and it is by Zoe Scottio, who writes, Meet Winston, a rare bongo born at the Denver Zoo for CNN. Yeah, happy news to send you on your way this weekend. A baby Eastern bongo was born in early March at Colorado's Denver Zoo, and the zoo posted a video of him on their Twitter feed. We're going to link it in the show notes, and we also retweeted it the other day in case you want to go check it out. Yeah, so they said, as the weather warms up, keepers will begin integrating him with the rest of the herd, so you'll be able to welcome him into the world soon. And Winston isn't in the public exhibit yet, but for any of our listeners in Colorado, you can go meet Winston whenever you can. Bongos are a species of antelope, and they're found in rainforests between Senegal and Kenya, and they're actually pretty rare. Their population has declined by over 20% over the last three generations, mainly due to hunting for meat, which is, you know, something, and hunting for sport, which is uh, two big thumbs down from me. Nick, how many thumbs down for you? You're getting a double thumbs down right here, Matt. All right, we give sport hunting of bongos four thumbs down from the planet today. You're getting four thumbs. The Denver Zoo has four adult eastern bongos, which are more rare than western bongos because the eastern bongos are only found in a small forested region in Kenya. So bongos as a whole, between Senegal and Kenya, eastern bongos only in a small forested region in Kenya. Bongos are one of the largest species of antelope, and Winston is projected to grow between three and a half to four and a half feet tall from hoof to shoulder. And get this, he's going to weigh between 460 and 900 pounds. Holy mother. That's insane. He, I mean, you got to see the video. Go check it out. We're, I think we're link, linking to the Twitter. Yeah. Super cute. He's insanely cute. And to think that he's going to be 460 to 900 pounds is unthinkable yeah he looks like he might be 30 right now if that yeah he's a he's a little guy right now so you know when you whenever he's on exhibit if you're listening to this from colorado maybe uh maybe go check him out see him while he's little and then send us some before and after pictures when you go back in a year and he's 300 pounds or whatever (laughs) (laughs) seriously that thing is gonna grow fast nick what's your take on winston as an animal name um, I prefer coach. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I love Winston as an animal name. I think it's great. I would consider naming a dog Winston. I think that's a fantastic name. It's like, oh, what a distinguished gentleman. You know, like that, that sound. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny you mentioned new girl there. Cause I was thinking, you know, the character Winston great with his cat. So I just assume animals named Winston are going to be great with humans. <laughs> nice. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. 
I'll be back on Monday with Giselle to talk about the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments with big climate change implications. Yeah, so the case specifically is EPA versus West Virginia, if you want to check it out before their discussion. Yeah, we originally planned to talk about this two weeks ago when Giselle was on last, but we had a lot to say about the IPCC report, and we had a lot to say about this one, so we made each of them their own episode. In the meantime, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a review for the show on Apple. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. We're produced every week by Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every show. Nick, where can people listen to more of your tunes? You can find me on soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, folks. Definitely go check them out. And you can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod, or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we're not talking about on the show, except for this week where I dropped two because I accidentally didn't do one last week. So we made it up to the people. (laughs) Nice. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.